Well, turn your Bibles to Philippians 2. We're going to be going through Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. This is God's Word. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Hear God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that all parts of your word are for our benefit. God, thank you for words like this that speak directly to where we live every day. That teach us how to live with one another. That teach us how to relate to each other. In the midst of differences, in the midst of diversity. God, thank you for scriptures like this that are a help to us. That give us hope for living in unity. In light of the gospel. In light of the good news that we've received. God, I pray that you would help all of us hear from you this morning. God, help me as I speak. Lord, you know how weak I am and frail. God, I'm in need of you. Empower me. Enable me, Lord. And enable all of us to hear from you. I pray that you bless your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was our kid, our family used to go on very long road trips. And by very long, I mean very long. Um, my dad had great ideas that it was a really fun thing to pack all four of us kids into a car and drive days at a time and and that was good apparently for them and uh there's nothing like a long car ride to challenge sibling love you know there's nothing like sticking four kids together in one bench seat in a mazda glc station wagon two seats in the front one bench seat four kids you get a picture okay it's a small car i think it's illegal today to do that this was the 70s there was no seatbelt laws back then So they crammed us in this Mazda GLC station wagon one time and one very memorable trip. And we went all the way out to Oklahoma City, Oklahoma from Virginia. And we did that. My dad thought this would be really great. I know what will make for a fun trip is going 24 hours straight without stopping. That would be excellent. So in his mind. And so they thought maybe the idea is that all the kids are going to sleep. This is going to be harmonious. If you're a parent and you've had four kids in one seat together for 24 hours straight with very little sleep, it's not harmonious. There's all kinds of temptations and lines that get drawn. If you've ever done that in the back seat, we used to do this thing like, this is my side of the seat and we draw a line here and if they cross it, mommy's crossing my line! And we would have issues with that. And um, it it would be great challenges to our family, to our unity, to our oneness and... I remember how we had to really work to have even just the remotest semblance of a good good attitude. We were stuck back there. We were driving forever. The trip was going on and on. It lasted a long time. We're we're all part of the same family, but we're all very different. Maybe maybe you come from a family with a lot of differences, but 
my, my oldest sister very different than my brother, very different than my other sister, and very different than me. Um, we had one thing uniting us, we were all the Rawlings. You know, we were all, we're all part of the same family. So that kind of kept us together. That, that kept us almost loving each other. That kept us almost sane. It kept us thinking, okay, we're, we're in this. We're, we're in this together. Whatever we do, we're going to do it together. And so everything that we did, though, presented a potential challenge. Everything from where we ate and what we ate. So if dad wanted to eat at the Waffle House and we wanted to eat at Arby's or everything we, every choice we made, every preference, every decision was an opportunity for either unity or or disunity. It was either an opportunity to serve each other by giving up our preferences or it was an opportunity to say, we have serious preferences and Arby's curly fries are the only way to eat. Sometimes I feel that way, but that wasn't, well, that was me actually. So uh, when we didn't make effort, when we didn't really try to get along, it was not a joy for my parents. In fact, it wasn't a joy for any of us. It, it, it caused not only disunity, but it made for a really rotten time. I remember another time we were going out to Lake of the Ozarks and we're driving out again straight without stopping. I think we stopped twice to go to the bathroom. And it made for a miserable time because I had a rotten attitude and it spoiled the whole thing. In the Christian walk, we've been kind of put together with this, these other people. Who aren't necessarily like us. We're all, we've all been made part of the same family. We've, sometimes we're in close quarters. Sometimes we're on a long trip, it seems, together. And sometimes our relationship is, is, it's not easy. We have different preferences. We have different likes. We have um, different opinions. We believe or think differently about the non-essentials. We're challenged at times by the choices that our different family members make. We're challenged by the different things we encounter along the road, if you will. We have differences in preference. If you have visited or been a part of a small group here, you will soon find out. Once you get to know somebody else in your small group, you have preferences that are different than theirs. You have different backgrounds in the church. We have differences in status. We have differences in homes and possessions and income. We have differences in jobs and temperaments. Some people are soft-spoken and quiet. Some people are loud and outspoken and you wish they would be soft-spoken and quiet. Some soft-spoken people you wish would talk at all. We have a lot of differences in the church. Those are God-given differences. We have differences in, in families, in types of families, and whether or not we have people who are not yet married. We have people who are, are married. We have people with kids, without kids. We have empty nesters. We have all kinds of differences in the church. It, it creates this potential recipe if we're not striving for unity. It creates a potential recipe for there be some serious disagreements, serious difficulties. And if you've been in... Any church or any period of time, you realize that, oh, the church is full of messed up people with all kinds of differences and it takes a lot of effort. But it's a glorious thing because once, once we experience that unity that's not based on our differences, but that unity that's based on the common thing that we have together in Jesus Christ, it's a wonderful thing. And you realize the richness of the glory of God to put all of us together who are very different and how wonderful and beneficial it is and how good it is that that person beside you is not like you we have differences that are legitimate we have differences that are sinful too 
Not all differences are legitimate. Not all differences are sinful. We have a lot of potential here for misunderstanding in the church. And it's not just our church. But our hope is, is not in, okay, do we all have hair, guys? Do we all shave our heads? Do we, different, that's not our hope. Our hope is not in how we dress. Our hope is not in our, our preferences. Our hope is in really something far more powerful than anything else we can hope in. And that's what we need to remind ourselves of again and again. We're united by something very powerful. More powerful than any brotherhood. More powerful than any fraternity or sorority or group. More powerful than the fact that we're all descendants of Adam. We're all members of the human race. We're united by something more significant than even that. If you're a Christian, we're united because we become members of God's chosen race. We're the people Saved by grace. We're the people who have been made one through Jesus Christ. We're now members of an unbreakable union. An unbreakable family. We've now all been adopted. See, none of us were natural born into God's family. All of us were, were hating God. All of us had to be adopted by God. But now we're all members of a family that his ties are closer than, than blood. Once we were not a people, but now we've been made a people. We've been called together. We have an eternal kingdom. We have been made a people for his own possession. And the purpose that we've been made a people for his possession is that so we might proclaim the excellencies, not of ourselves, but the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness and into his glorious light. Once we had not received mercy, but now we've received mercy. God has poured out His love into each and everyone's hearts who has trusted in Jesus Christ. Do you know that you are equally in need of God's love as the person next to you? Do you know that the person next to you, they need God's mercy and grace just as much as you do? But do you know what? Here's the wonderful thing. God has called all of us. Equally. We're very different. But he's called all of us equally. And he's given us so many gifts. And he's bestowed so many blessings on us. And these things are the things that unite us. These things are what matters most. It's not our differences. It's not our preferences. It's not our opinions. It's not our political affiliation. It's not what our cause is that we champion. What unites us is of what we have received. And our long car ride together as a family, our awareness of what we've been given, our awareness of how good we had it, our awareness of the blessings that we had, and, and our common bond as a family, it shaped our experience, or it should have shaped our experience together. Even though we were tempted by disunity, we were united by some certain things. As Christians, we're united by something far greater than that. Far greater than any clan, far greater than any affiliation, far greater than any background, far greater than any ethnicity, far greater than any social group. We've been united by what we have in Christ. Look in the first verse there. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. These are the things that we are united by. These are the things that are most important. These are the things that trump all preferences on all opinions and all 
affiliations. And really the main idea that I think we're to have this morning is that we're to live worthy of what we've received. Live worthy of what we receive. We've received encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy. We're to live worthy of what we've received. United. How are we united? We're united as we pursue humility. We're united through pursuing humility and the interests of others. How are we united? Well, we have a unity in Christ that's been given to us, but it, it just doesn't happen automatically. It's something we have to pursue. And how do we pursue how do we actively pursue unity? How do we actively pursue being together, being united? We pursue it by pursuing humility and pursuing the interests of others. And really that's our first point. This comes right from the passage. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, what it's saying is live worthy of what you've received. There's a so at the beginning of these verses. In other translations, it's, it's translated as therefore. And whenever you see the word so or therefore, it's always pointing back to something prior. And in this case, it's pointing back a little bit more. If so you look down your, in your Bibles, or I actually might have it on the screen. It's in the beginning part of Philippians 1, in verse 27, it says, Only let your manner of life, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is what the so is pointing back to. The so is pointing back to what he's saying really only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel. What he's saying is what does it look like to behave as citizens, as fellow family members? What does it look like to behave as fellow family members who are worthy, live in a manner who are worthy of the gospel? So what we've received as citizens of his kingdom as those who've been made part of a body of Christ by the good news of Jesus, what we've received, what he's saying is more than we can ever deserve. And when he says if, it doesn't mean that it hasn't happened. We really should look at that if as, as if as is certainly the case. Or since there is encouragement in Christ, since we have comfort from love, since we have participation in the Spirit, since we have received His affection, since we have received His sympathy... And he tells us that since all of these things are true about every Christian, how are we to live in light of what we've received? We've received the encouragement of Jesus Christ. We've received the encouragement of Jesus Christ. You see, sin is the ultimate discourager, isn't it? When, I, when you fail, when you mess up, when you make a mistake, how do you feel? Discouraged. You feel condemned. You're tempted to feel condemnation. You're tempted to feel guilty. Sin is the ultimate discourager, especially if you do not have hope in Jesus Christ. So you do other things to try to make up for it. To try to make yourself feel better. But in Christ, we've received the ultimate encouragement. We've received the ultimate encouragement of knowing that our sins have been forgiven. They've been done away with. Our sins have been washed away. When he says we've received encouragement in Christ, there could be no greater encouragement than we no longer have any condemnation. We no longer have guilt because of what Jesus has done. Because we are found in Jesus, we have the greatest encouragement that we can know that the Father is pleased with us because of Jesus. The second great thing that we received as members of God's family, it's just, it's simple. It says, we've received comfort from God's love. Maybe you come from a broken family. Maybe you couldn't identify with a family that was trying to love each other. Maybe you were 
in a family that hated each other. Maybe you come from a family you didn't have both parents. We receive comfort not in our backgrounds. We receive comfort not in where we've come from, what we have. But we have a greater comfort. We have comfort of God's love. Once we were haters of God. Once we were far apart from Him. But God chose to love us and draw us near to Him. And His, His love is meant to be the ultimate comfort to you and I. If you have been born again, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, not only do you have encouragement this morning in Jesus Christ, does He have encouragement for you? Maybe you came in and you're discouraged. I believe that God would want to encourage you and say, you have encouragement, not in your circumstances, not in, in what you have, not in who's around you or who's in your life or not in your life. You have encouragement in who you are in Jesus. And more than that, you have comfort in the love of the Father. Once you were hating God and being hated, now God loves you and He set His affection on you. We've received more than we could ever ask. When people around you, when they reject you, when they don't accept you, maybe you're fine, you're, you're in school and you feel like no one around you likes you. You're not like anybody else. You feel like everybody's rejecting you. Maybe you're here in the church and you're like nobody else in your small group, you think. And you feel like you don't fit in. We have acceptance in the love of the Father. And that's where we put our hope. That's where we put our trust. That's what will enable us to relate to each other. It's, it's not on whether I like dressing like this and they like dressing like that. Or I like this kind of music or style or preference. Or I like pizza and, and, and they hate it. You know, it's not based on any of those things. Now sometimes it's way more serious preferences than that. But our hope is that we've received encouragement in Christ. And we've received the love of God equally. And we're equally in need of the love of God. Not only have we received God's love, encouragement in Christ, He tells us the third thing we've received is participation in the Spirit. We've received participation in the Holy Spirit. Think for a minute about this. What this means is, this is, the, this is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has come to participate in our lives. He's come to be a part of our lives. He's come to not only be a part of our lives, He's come to, to fill us with Himself, to empower us, to enable us, to give us His presence, to be with us constantly. We have a participation in the Holy Spirit. Let's not forget what we have in Christ. We have encouragement, we have God's love, and we have a participation in the Holy Spirit, and we participate together in the Holy Spirit. And all these things are the things that matter the most. And then he goes on from there. He says, not only have we received encouragement and God's love and participation in the Holy Spirit, but we've received affection and sympathy. So not only did God choose to love us, He's actively set His affections on us. What that means is He's not just subtly displeased with you. He is constantly pleased with you, not because of you, but because of Jesus. He set His affection on you. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I, I feel like I could never be good enough. I feel like I could never live up. Maybe you were raised in that kind of family that, that you were never good enough for your parent or your whoever it was. You have good news. We've received a more lasting affection that's not based on our performance or lack thereof. That can't be taken away. 
We have God's pleasure. His affections are set on us. And then in addition to that, we've been learning in Hebrews, when we went through the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is our great high priest. And he, not only is he our great high priest, he sacrifices for us. He sympathizes with us. says, have you received any affection, any sympathy? You see, Jesus takes sympathy on weak sinners like you and me. He takes sympathy. He has sympathy on flawed and frail Weak and feeble people like you and I. He understands the human condition and he has sympathy on us. And Paul is saying, you've received all of these things. You've received the encouragement of Jesus Christ. You've received the love of the Father. You've received the participation in the Holy Spirit. You've received the affection and sympathy of God. These are the things... That are important. These are the things that we should lock arms in. These are the things we need to remind ourselves and tell each other about. And because we've received these things, we need to be united in these things. Because we already have a unity, we need to pursue unity in these things. Because there's lots of differences here. Thinking through the different things that Paul's talking about here, he's talking about receiving from Jesus Christ and receiving the love of the Father and, and participating together in the Holy Spirit. And there's a passage in 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen, and, and he says, Paul was saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What is he doing here? Well, see, what, what he's trying to point out in, in Corinthians and here as well is there's been a great activity of every member of the Trinity in your life. There's been a specific and personal activity of, of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to come and seek you and call you and redeem you and make you His own. The whole Trinity is at work. We've received the comforts of God's love and fellowship together in the Spirit. And because of that, we're to live differently. We're to live worthy of what we've received in the gospel. Not to earn it, but in light of the great gifts that we've received. He's really telling us here how to live worthy. What does it look like to, to live worthy? Since these four things are true about every Christian in this room. Every one of you, if you place your faith and trust in Jesus, every one of you has received encouragement in Jesus Christ. Now maybe you need to be encouraged more. And remember and look to what your true source of encouragement is. Every one of you has received God's love. Every one of you participates together in the Holy Spirit. Every one of you has the affection and sympathy of Jesus. And now in light of that, these things are the foundation for our unity. These things are the foundation of the peace that we're to pursue with one another, really, as we seek to live out our lives in the community that He's called us to. And if you're a part of this church, He's called you here. He wants you to live active lives, as different as you are, celebrating those differences and pursuing unity. The second thing we see in verse 2, it says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What's he really saying? He's saying, be united. It's the second point, really. Be united for the sake of joy. Be united for the sake of joy. Now, Paul's talking about his own joy, but really the whole book of Philippians is all about joy in Christ. What he's, what he's modeling, he's modeling is saying, the unity of the saints brings me great joy. And in fact, the unity of this body is meant to bring you joy as well. 
be united for the sake of joy. We are all very different from each other. My oldest sister, Michelle, she's very different than my older brother. And my other sister is very different than all of us. In fact, we used to tease her that she was adopted and not in a good way. Um, now it's like, we should have celebrated that. She was actually would have been chosen by our parents. We were just, we happened. She was chosen. That was better. Each of us has unique tastes. My sister Christine, she loves mustard. I think it's something that tastes like what it looks like. And if you've ever had a baby, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't had a baby, ask somebody who has. We have differences in taste. Some of us are more tender than others. Some of us are more daring. I played football and soccer in school. My sister played softball. I could not understand that. It was the slowest game on the planet. There's so many room for offenses with our preferences, aren't there? Even with just simple things like that. You know, I, I like baseball. I can't stand it. I think it's the most slow game on the planet. Or I, I love hockey. I can't stand that. Or I love football. We, we can just, there's so many potentials to be divided over things that really don't matter. And that really we need to be united around the things we've all received. The things we have in common. My brother and I, we both rode dirt bikes um, growing up, but he was braver, maybe lacking more common sense than I was. And um, it's like what I like to tell myself, at least. And so he would do things that were just outlandish, jumping huge distances over through goalposts and just things that probably if my parents knew about, they would have grounded us for life. But what has made us stick together is we were all the Rawlings family. You know, we I knew that... My family would always be there, and, and they always held a special place in my head and my heart, and, and they still do, and I'm bound to them in a unique way. But as Christians, we, we have a bond that is deeper than that. You see, we've all been recreated. We've all been born again into God's family. We've all been adopted and chosen equally by the Father. We aren't called to be united around our preferences United around our opinions or even united around our causes. We're not called to be united around our strengths or our weaknesses either. Paul tells us we're called to be of the same mind. What in the world is he talking about? Be of the same mind. Having the same love. What is that? To be in full accord and agreement. To be of one mind and a purpose. Hang on, this is impossible, is it? Well, not if we're talking about human preferences, human opinion, human backgrounds and temperaments, no. But this first thing that he draws our attention to is be of the same mind. Now I'm going to call out the inner geek and so many of you right now, if you're a Star Trek fan, if you're familiar with Star Trek, now I'm also isolating the other half of the people in the room who, who don't know what Star Trek is. These are differences we can celebrate, right? <laughs> If you're a Star Trek fan, it's not somehow that we're all called to be part of the, the Borg Collective. If you don't know what that is, find a, find a fellow geek like me and, um, and ask them. You know, you're not called to, we're not called to hear each other's thoughts and have the exact same mind and brain and, and think like an automaton. Or, or we don't somehow all remove our brains and stop thinking for ourselves. No, what he's talking about is having the same intent. The same disposition. We're to have the, the same intent of seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ define who we are and how we live. Really, that's part of our mission statement as a church is that we're called to 
be disciples. That's our very identity. That's what should define us. Be of the same mind. We're people who are saved by the grace of God. We're people who have been chosen by God. Not because of ourselves. Not because of any merit or worth. None of us have any merit. None of us have worth. Some of you may feel like you have more worth. And some of you may feel like you have less worth. No, it doesn't qualify on either front. We were chosen because Jesus was worthy. That's, that's the same mind we all need to have. You know, God didn't get a catch when he found you. And also, God didn't somehow begrudgingly find you if you feel like you didn't deserve it. We were all equally undeserving. We have the same mind. And we need to have the same intent on seeing this good news affect who we are and how we live. We're all to have the same disposition that seeks to grow in him. We're all to have the same intent of making disciples. And then the second thing, the second reason for unity it talks about, it says having the same love. What he's saying is we've all received the love of God in Jesus Christ. Not any one of you is more or less deserving of his love and affection. You know, sometimes I've struggled in the past with feeling like, well, God loves that person more. Or that person has it together more. You ever feel that way? They've got it together and I'm just this big loser. We've, we've all received the same love. We have the same kind of love from Jesus Christ. And we're to have that same kind of love towards each other. We possess this, this love from God that was given to us so that we could pass it on and so that His love could be shared through us. Someone once said, love begins... When someone else's needs are more important than my own. Love begins when somebody else's needs are more important than my own. We have the same love and we're to be having the same love towards one another. And then he tells us we're being in full accord. What in the world does that mean? What does it mean driving a Honda? It, it, it's, <laughs> we're to agree on what's most important. We're to be in, in full agreement. We have many differences and preferences and and maybe you're going to be offended when I tell you that I hate Downton Abbey, okay? Half the church loves it. It drives me up the wall. Yes. But, but maybe you're the kind who thinks that Duck Dynasty is the greatest. <laughs> and, and that's frightening too. <laughs> and others don't believe in watching TV at all because it'll rot your brain. And I'm sure there's some here for that, right? Somebody, okay. Some of you like classical music and you think it's the only kind of godly music. It's not. Some of you like metal. Some of you like rap. Some of you like indie music and jazz and instrumental guitar. Some of you like that horrible Harlem shuffle thing. That was awful. I don't know what the, that's, drives me up the wall. <laughs> Whatever the thing's called. <laughs> Some of you think you should send your kids to, to public school only. That's the only right thing to do as a Christian. I think it's the only right thing to do as a Christian to send my kids to private school. I think it's the only right thing to do as a Christian to send my, to have, keep my kids at home because I don't want any. There are many differences in preference and opinion. Those are not the things that unite us. Some of you like spicy food. Some of you think that meat and potatoes is the only way. It sounds silly, but... Little things can annoy us about each other and tempt us to divide us. Some of you are cat people. I don't understand that. Some of you are dog people. Some of you think that it's wrong to have pets at all. It's a waste of money. See? 
We have differences. Let's celebrate those differences. Amen? <laughs> Some of you think Jane Eyre movies or those type of movies are the best. You know, others think that movies like the Avengers are the only worthy films. Some think modern art where colors splashed on a canvas is great expression. Others think, what in the world? I could get my kid to paint that. Others prefer Rembrandt. Some love digging into their ancestry and some love highlighting their ethnicity. All of these things are fine and good and permissible for Christians. It's okay for us to have preferences, but, but none of these things are, are things that are to divide, to divide us or to separate us from fellowship. And none of these preferences, though, are either the source of our unity. Did you get that? And our preferences, our opinions, our differences, those things are not meant to be the source of our unity and they shouldn't make us feel uncomfortable and they shouldn't make us feel like we don't fit in. None of us fits in, okay? We're all different. We're all weird and unusual in our own way. We just don't know it. You think you're not weird. I can help you with that. <laughs> it's a gift that God's given. <laughs> Thankfully, these things are not things that we're to be in full accord about. Right? The things that we're to be in full accord about is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's who we're called to be. We're on a mission together to be identified as His disciples, as His motley crew of disciples. We're very different. Those things, those differences are not meant to divide we're meant to celebrate that. And I, and I wish there were more differences here. I, I want more and more differences so that we can see that God is not the God of one type of person. He's not the God of the American. He's not the God of the, the Westerner. He's not the God of the, the Eastern. He's not the... God is the God who, who has called all peoples, all nations to Himself to be united together into one family. Those are the things that unite us. We're to be in full agreement what God called us to, we're to live worthy of the gospel by pursuing being of one mind, being of one purpose, having the same love. Last time it talks about being of one mind, it's, it's really being having the same purpose. I remember in the, I guess it was 1990, there was this desert storm and we got to see on TV this, these missiles and they would come down and they were laser guided. It was shocking. The, you could see this missile going down a camera with such precision. These laser-guided missiles. And that's, that's kind of that, that focus we're meant to have as a church. We're be, we're to have one driven purpose. And that purpose is not to drive our agenda. You see, there's a lot of agendas in the church. There's a lot of people who think we should do things this way. That's not necessarily sinful. It isn't necessarily holy either. <laughs> we have to hold those things loosely. There's lots of agendas and think that the church should be doing things this way, but church should be structured this way, the church should be formed this way, we should have these kinds of groups, these kinds of people, but do these kinds of things. It should look like this. The one purpose we're to have is not those agendas. It's to be disciples who are growing, to making disciples. The purpose, uh, it's really the purpose of the gospel message. What was that purpose that, that Paul's talking about in Philippians? This purpose is to bring all things into subjection under Jesus Christ. It's to see His kingdom come. It's to see His will be done. It's to see Jesus Christ exalted above everything and everybody else, not to exalt ourselves, 
above everybody else. Seek to be united in the same mind, same love, full accord, in one mind. And unity, it has to begin with each one of us changing the way we think and the way we feel so that what's most important is the gospel. What's most important is God's purposes. That's what we need to champion and hold dear. And that's what we need to realize. You know what? We're going to bump into each other. We're going to cross those lines. We draw on the seat and say, this is my side. Don't come over here. We're going to poke each other. Sometimes trying to annoy each other. That's not okay. But we have a unity in the gospel that's greater than all these things. And we have things that tempt us to disunity. So Paul tells us about some of those things. He talks about rivalry and competition and one-upmanship and pride. And they all tempt us to disunity. So scripture cuts like a knife. It calls us, look down your Bibles. In verse 3 it says, do nothing... He doesn't say do some things or it's okay to sometimes have some rivalry. He says, no, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That is a hard word. The third point that we're to be united in, it's we're united by pursuing humility. Paul is calling to us, God is calling to this church, to us, to be united by pursuing humility. Humility is not something that you just, you just happens. You not just become humble. Well, by God's grace, He's working in us to humble us. Yes, there's a portion of that that it's the mysterious working of God to make us more and more like Him so that yes, He's making us more humble. However, it's also a command to pursue humility. And unity and harmony that we're talking about, it can only be attained if we reject all self-seeking and all self-interest. And how does, how does Paul tell us to do it? He says, count others as more important than you are in the way that you think, in the way that you feel, in the way that you act, in your preferences, in your opinions, and your differences. You see, we're all tempted by self, selfish motivations. So... He had Paul. God had Paul specifically right. Do nothing from rivalry. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Do not be motivated by rivalry or selfish ambition. And what is that? It's, it's to do things out of envy. You ever done that? I have. But you know what? There's, there's forgiveness from that. You can come clean and say, you know what? I've, I've been that person who, when somebody else's success in the Christian walk, I'm envious of them. When something good happens to somebody else, I'm envious of them. I want to be better than them. He says, don't do that. Don't fall into that trap that we are all tempted by. The reason why scripture speaks like that is because every one of us is tempted to, by selfish ambition. Every one of us is tempted by rivalry. To want to be better than the person next to you. To distinguish yourself by how great you are and how not as good as you, the person beside you, is. Maybe you are tempted to take greatness in something you do. Or something you believe, or your greater knowledge, your greater ability. He says, don't be motivated that way. Don't be, don't be motivated by selfish ambition. That's going to tear down unity. It's going to rob you of joy. Not only that, it's not, it's not a life that's lived worthy of the gospel. Jesus died to do away with your selfish ambition. He, he had no selfish ambition. He denied himself to the point of death. Even death on a cross the most despised means of death in 
that day. The most shameful means. He laid down all of his ambitions that were, would not have been selfish. But selfish ambition is at the very core of our fallenness as humans. Seeking our own worth and who we are instead of who Jesus is. And he says, do nothing from motives like that. Be on guard. Be aware. Be continually on guard. That's going to be a threat to your unity. And if you find yourself there, here's the good news. Church, this week in your small group, you can say, you know what? That's me. But thank God that he's forgiven me for that. And I confess that freely because there's no condemnation for that. The second thing he tells us to, to do is don't be motivated by, your, by conceit. That's not a word we use a lot in our day except to call somebody conceited. But what this word really means is vainglory. It's, it's your own glory. Don't be motivated by your own glory, by having people think much of you. Instead, hey, be motivated by people thinking much of Christ, the thing that unites us the most. Don't seek to get credit. Don't seek to get noticed. Don't seek your worth in what you do. There's a great enemy of humility and a great cause for disunity and division, and that's looking for our own glory, our own conceit. And that's just really feeble, isn't it? Because we weren't worthy to begin with. Instead, He's made us worthy because of Jesus. So instead, we should be looking and saying, you know what? I'm worthy because of Jesus. That's what I'm going to boast in. That's what Paul meant when he says, I'm going to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm going to boast in my weakness. Because when I'm weak, He's strong. a quote by a guy named Gordon Fee. It's not up, up in your overheads. And it says, The truly humble, the truly humble show themselves by resting their case with God. The truly humble show themselves by resting their case with God rather than trusting their own strength and machinations. The truly humble show themselves by resting their case with God rather than trusting their own strength and machinations. And lastly, he says, count others as more significant than yourselves. What that means is not that you aren't worthwhile, but what it means is that you think of others as actually worthy of more honor, worthy of more care, worthy of more affection than you are. The, The assumption is that you're already going to be looking out for your interests. But you need to count others as more significant than yourself. And then the fourth and final thing he tells us, look in, look in verse 4. It says, let each of you look not only to his own interests. How can we be pursuing unity? He says, don't look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. The fourth point is really this. It's simple. Be united by pursuing the good of others. Be united by pursuing the interests of others. If you're concerned that there's disunity in the church, that's a good concern. But instead of talking about it, think, how can I be pursuing the interests of others for the sake of the unity of his body so that he might be glorified, so that his kingdom might be lifted up, so people might be drawn to the gospel? How can I pursue the good of others? How can I pursue other people's interests? Galatians 6.2 tells us, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Are you looking to bear each other's burdens? Now, I have to take a pause here because... I think this is an area that our church historically has has done well at. I've been so impressed over the last year, especially how our church has rallied around each other and trying to care for each other. Now, some people have gotten missed, and if you're one of those people who's gotten missed, don't let that be cause for disunity. But tell somebody, say, "Hey, I feel like I'm not getting care." Tell your small group and ask for ask for people to help you. Small group, look, look for people who need your interest. 
pursue the interests of others, bear their burdens. 1 Corinthians 10.24 says, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. The whole passage in 1 Corinthians 13 was talking about what love is. And one of the things that personifies love is it doesn't insist on its own way. And a distinguishing mark of love is that it's not self-seeking, it's others-seeking. Be united by pursuing the good of others. What's he saying? He's saying, look out for, take notice of, fix your eyes on, make your attention on the interests of others. It it implies effort. We have to be aware of other people. That's kind of hard sometimes because I can get in this place where I'm just so self-aware, so aware of my problems, so aware of my difficulties, so aware of my challenges, my shortcomings, my needs, my, 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 my. We're all like that. What he's saying is get outside of yourself. Stop thinking about yourself so much. Yes, we have problems and concerns, but you know what? One of the ways that God ministers to us is, is getting us outside of our own problems and stopping us from focusing on our problems and looking to the needs of others and saying, I'm going to trust Him with my problems and I'm going to serve others and look out for their interests. And that's actually one of the ways that God ministers to us. And if you're counseling each other, you're trying to help each other, one of the real practical things you could do is encourage someone who's struggling with an awareness of their difficulties and challenges is to empathize with them, sympathize with them, and say, I'm sorry. And then to encourage them to, to look outside of themselves too. Because we can be so self-focused. And we have to do that with gentleness. There's a time and season for everything. But we need to pursue the good of others. Live worthy of what you receive, united through pursuing humility. Church, our goal is not uniformity. It's a real unity. It isn't based on where we come from. It's not based on the color of your skin. It's not based on the money you make, the car you drive, or thankfully what sports teams you follow, even if you follow Michigan. I'm sorry. One day you'll be redeemed and no longer root for Michigan. But none of those things define us. They shouldn't affect our unity. We have a unity we've been given in Jesus Christ. We have encouragement in Christ. We have received the same love of the Father. We have participation in the Holy Spirit. We've received the affection of God. We've received the sympathy of Jesus Christ. These are the things that need to govern our relationships. As a church, we've been going through, we just started last week, and we're going over for the next seven weeks in your small groups. And if you're not a part of a small group, I want to really encourage you strongly, find a small group, be a part of it. If you're not regularly attending small group, be a part of regularly attending small group. Here's why. Over the next seven weeks, starting last week for most groups, sometimes this week for some of them, we're going through a series on, on peacemaking and really just conflict in real life. What do we do with conflict in real life? And every one of us needs help there. So in Sunday mornings, what we're trying to do is, is, is talk about some of these areas that are potentially causes for disunity and how do we guard the peace of God that's been given to us? Well, we, we guard it by first realizing we've been given encouragement of Jesus, the love of the Father, participation in the Holy Spirit, affection and sympathy. And now we need to pursue unity in light of that. By trying to be pursuing humility in the interest of others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the marvelous gifts we've received. 
God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you've adopted us all, that you've made us a part of your broader family, Lord. But thank you specifically that you made us a part of this body. Lord, help us to be committed to our local church body, our local expression of you. God, for the good of your kingdom and for our good. Father, I pray that you would, you would guard us against disunity and that you would help us pursue unity and humility. You would help us be a church that's marked, marked by pursuing the interests of others, marked by saying, you know what unites us? It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And may that shine as a beacon and a light in the world around us, we pray. May that be our hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.